now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Practicing Accountant and Financial Advisor. That's how we kick off our Thursday afternoons with Thursday Finance. Stephen, uh, another guest joining us later this week. Yeah, we've got the, the lead economist from the Hunter... Um, what's it called? Now they've changed the name. Hunter, Hunter Research, Research Foundation. Foundation. Yes. So we've got the lead economist from the Hunter Research Foundation. She's going to talk about the uh, local economy, in particular um, talking about the local job market, um, the housing market, which just seems to be the topic. I was story on the front page of the Financial Review today about that. Um, and um, business performance a bit later. Time to kick off with some of the currency and commodity movements today. Um, yeah, not much movement around the markets in the last week or so, but you know, I'll just go through them. Um, the gold price, the gold was up by $3.70 to 1838 Five dollars Australian. Um, then the copper price was down fifty one dollars twenty a ton to nine thousand one hundred twenty five, and the crude oil price was up thirty nine cents a barrel to ninety four dollars and ninety four cents. So not much movement there. Um, the currency, uh, not much movement again. Um, the A dollar was up to uh, seventy one point two five US cents. It was up to fifty four point oh one um, pence, and 62.39 euro cents. So, um, you know, we're talking about fractions of a cent movement. Oh, gee, that's not going to make much of a difference on your holiday, is it? <laughs> no. And the All Ordinaries Index was 6,251, which was down 15 points, which, which you know, you convert that to percent, that's a 024 no, not worth worrying about. We've spent more to- more money in yeah. time value talking yeah, that's about right, it. That's right. Uh, the S and P five hundred was was as uh, two thousand eight hundred twenty four, which is up fifteen point eight. Uh, the UK FTSE uh, is up one hundred and five points, which is one point four six percent. So that's seven thousand two hundred ninety one. And as we, as we spoke about last week briefly, I mean. The, the UK Parliament and the commentators are saying it's doom and gloom with no deal on Brexit, but the market's not saying that. Mm. Currency's holding up, and the equity market's going up. Which is interesting because, I mean, Brexit always in the news and no deal and nothing happening, kick the, kick the can down the road, but if the market's still firing... Well, they've only got, they've only got 10 days, haven't they? Give or take, yeah. Not much. Not much. Um, Once you convert the time difference, which I don't know whether we've got to add or (laughs) subtract or something. Anyhow, uh, BHP, uh, $37.20, which was up $0.04 on the week. Uh, CBA was uh, down $2.14 to $70.79. NIB was down $0.04 to $5.46. And uh, Telstra was um, steady at $3.26. So not much there for local portfolios either. And the fuel price, uh, the fuel price in Newcastle was down... um, 0.3 0.3 of a cent, so that's a dollar for the 3.1. So I filled my tank up yesterday, so I saved. Oh, a, me too. So I'm just copying that. And um, so if I've got about 50 bucks worth in there, what have I saved? Oh, oh no, that's too. Yeah, <laughs> not much. 30 cents probably, if that. Oh damn! Wow. No, 15 cents. 15 cents. 15, 15 wow. Cents that. Thank you, fuel people. Uh, yeah, yeah, if that. Um, a dollar th- uh, Sydney dollar thirty point two. So that was down four point six cents a litre. So that's a bit better. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Newcastle Diesel a dollar forty eight point four, which is down point six cents a litre, and dollar forty six point three in Sydney, which is 
up 0.3 cents later. So no, no changes anywhere on anything. I don't think there's one cent or 1% of anything we've no. talked about. Uh, the only thing is 1%. The UK market's gone at one and a half. That's the only thing. Oh, so proving your Brexit point right oh, again. Man, I'm not proving it right. I mean, if there's it's mm. all this dim and gloom, you'd mm. expect the market to be going down yeah. dramatically. We're going to start with the, uh, with the banking sector, uh, Stephen. Westpac uh, getting, uh, exiting the financial advice yeah, the, business. The big, the big news this week is that Westpac's decided to exit the financial advice business, so um, they're going to progressively shut that down and, and um, tell their clients that they can go to uh, Westpac's um, approved replacement or they can go and make their own arrangements. I mean, um, they're, they're talking about um, there's 900 people going to be put off and it's going to cost the bank $307 million to shut this business down. Wow. But I suspect it's never been making any money in here. Well, if it, yeah, well, that's a lot of money to throw out the door yeah. if it was making money. That's right. And then... then and we've got a few changes then. The ANZ has decided to scrap sales targets for tellers, as, as, as you were talking about. You used to go in there and, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd say, can we help you with a home loan or a... I just want know. to cash this cheque, but I'll hit Yeah, you know, and they had to refer, you know, so many home loans a week or so many insurance or whatever. Anyhow, the banks decided to scrap all that. I mean, personally, all that did was, to me is that uh, just waste my time. So I didn't want to know any of that in here. And I think the majority of people are probably like that. Well, this, is a, this in itself might be a big selling point for the bank yeah. overall. I did that job uh, in in the call centre. I was in the top in the bank that I was within the top 1% in the country. Selling, selling bank products. There you, you like go. you like fries with that. I was, copying the McDonald's. I'll have you know, Stephen, I was damn good at it. Even the, even the products that many people weren't didn't sort want. of... Well, the products that people weren't that fantastic at selling I was there well because it's interesting because that it all goes back to the old McDonald's you know they used to train the people to mm. say do you, do you want fries with that and yeah. then the combo meals came in and now a number of the McDonald's stores seem to have those kiosk things where you've, you've got a this is true. So they're not even going to try and um, cross-sell or whatever you want to call it. No, sales. but that's confusing. You don't even go up to the, the counter. You have to go and sort of do your basically online. Is that in all their stores? Or no, some. some. I've seen a couple in Sydney that are like that. Yeah, the only one I ever go in is the one on the freeway when I'm hungry. Sometimes <laughs> coming Fair out of Yeah, so that's definitely in that one. Um, and... Um, and and this is interesting. David Murray is the um, the chairman of uh, AMP who uh, was appointed after the previous chairman had to, to resign after it, uh, after a few uh, accusations were made at the Royal Commission about altered independent reports, etc. Anyhow, he came on board. Um, you know, he was was getting eight fifty thousand as um, directors as chairman's fees, and um, he's agreed that uh, that should be reduced to six hundred and sixty thousand. So, now you're saying that's a step in the right direction. Well, I think it's a step in the right direction. I mean, some of these the fees and charges and the salaries. I mean, the, the previous NAB. Um, the previous NAB managing director was getting four million, and when he, when he had to resign or resigned or chose to resign, or however we want to phrase it, um, he had to give up incentive bonuses of twenty two million. Well, that's a you know a huge amount of money. He's getting four million to start with, and the incentive bonuses. Now the the new temporary CEO at the NAB's only getting um, one hundred and fifty thousand a month, which is about two million. I think. Yeah. So, um, so he's only getting. So it might be a step in the right direction. About uh, you know, one of the problems they talk about the, the you know the greed and stuff in these financial services companies. It's all coming from the top. 
Oh, it's it's never the pe- it's never yeah, the people no. that are providing the service yeah, themselves. Look at, they look at the yeah. bank teller, probably on fifty thousand a year, and you're getting the CEO on four million plus incentive of twenty two million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I'll nice. do it for half. Were you I'll getting that much when you were the top salesperson? I, I, I was not. Uh, I, I was doing okay, but I wasn't in nowhere uh, in that world. No, just, thank you. And, and you know, when you look at it, you know, is the the CEO working that many times harder? than the person at the counter to justify that salary. And, yeah, I, I think we all know the answer to that. <laughs> there can only be one answer. Yeah. All right, and uh, TPG Telecom? Uh, TPG Telecom, so um, they, they, they've come out yesterday and said that the... Um, the government needs to tell the NBN to lower the prices, um, otherwise it's going to have to scrap its $60 uh, per month plan. So so in case some of the listeners don't know, but basically what happens is, you know, the NBN company supplies the infrastructure and then you contract with a retailer um, who um, charges you a fee for access to the internet. Now, basically all the retailer does is 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 provides marketing support and reinvoicing. Really, in other words, they're, the, they're really they're the ones that sign you up. That's it. That's it. Really, and, and you know, if something goes wrong, what happens? You ring up the retailer. Uh, I know this from personal experience. You ring up the retailer. The retailer passes your message on to MBN Co. and then says that they can't do anything. I mean, and then and then, and then you try to complain, and you can then you've got to complain to. Um, Who's the telecommunication ombudsman? And interesting enough, they won't accept they won't accept complaints about MBN Co. Why is that? Oh, because it's not in their charter. So if you go and complain that MBN Co. is not doing anything, what they do in this instance, they will then go. They can, from personal experience, they convert your complaint into a complaint about the retailer. Oh, so they cop it. <laughs> so the retailer gets the problem because the MBNK is not doing its job and the telecommunication ombudsman won't accept complaints about MBNK. there you go. Look, I reckon uh, every time we've done this program, we've, there's been a story about Blackmores. Yes, they're back in the news this week. Yeah, Mar- Marcus Blackmore, sorry, Marcus Blackmore, 73. Um, he, he's um, the CEO. The, the, the issue of this is there was the CEO who went off and joined... Um, Australia Post is the CEO on a much reduced salary after, um, who was that? You don't ask me for the name. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> a much reduced salary of the person who was previously getting $5 million. Um, so he, 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 their CEO left went and went out to help Australia Post and uh, they put a new CEO who's only lasted about 12 months. Um, you know, she had a bit of good luck because when she was there, the Chinese were literally queuing up at the gate and the factory was working... You know, 24 hours a day and the new CEO came and the Chinese won't just disappeared and as Marcus said at one stage, uh, we didn't see them coming and we didn't see them going but they made very good money for that year. Anyhow, the new CEO has decided to resign because profits have fallen or haven't been as great as expected so Marcus, who's 73, is taking over on an interim basis and he said the company needs to become more lean and mean and the retail world Mm -hmm. now is where discounting has almost become a permanent feature. 
I still like the guy. The fact that this guy's seventy three and he wants to still run the run the company. Well, he's, got, he's he's got some interests over the world. He could be enjoying, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a few yachts, but I mean, he, <laughs> a few. He, I'm down to one uh, myself. Yeah, I mean, the company was was started by his father, and he ran it for many years. So I mean, you said it's only an interim position. Someone's got to be in there to run it until they find someone. Fair enough. And uh, a bit of angst about the proposed change. Yeah, I mean, the Labor government, uh, the proposed the the Labor. Party's proposed policy on fracking credits when they get into government. Um, so the cash refunds, the only people who get cash refunds in future are people who are on a age pension on the 18th of March 2018. So uh, if you weren't in receipt of a pension, if you went on the pension on the 19th of March 2018, no fracking credits mm. for you. And um, su- uh, superannuation funds won't be getting the cash credits back depending upon the mix of uh, accumulation members and pension members. I mean, the whole thing's, you know, totally unfair. Um, if they're going to do away with cash franking credit refunds, it needs to be done across the board for the lot or leave it alone. Um, and the interesting thing is they, they quote some numbers that, you know, it's costing the budget $5 billion, and when it was brought in, it was only costing um, $500 million or something. Um, of course, they voted for it at that time too, don't that. It was a bipartisan policy, which all came out of the the Campbell report in the 1980s and then the Ralph report. And um, because they never tell you how much company tax collections have risen in that time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they, they tell you one side of the equation, but they don't tell you the other. Anyhow, so franking credits is really withholding tax. Um, it's the same as a pay-you-go instalment. The company pays the tax. You get a credit on your tax return for the tax that's already paid. And if the tax that's paid is less than what you've got to pay, you get a refund. And mm. if it's more, you get... More, more money back. Um, um, a lot of shareholders in Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is Australia's largest and oldest investment company, um, had a, a meeting and they're furious about it. They're furious. We will watch that with some interest we'll before it. the it's, election. It's, it's becoming more and more... Um, it's becoming more and more as people realise the impact on what's going to happen on them and, and how unfair the whole basis is. Um, they're becoming... Um, they're becoming... It will be a federal election issue. That's it's going to be at the top federal election, I'm sure. And finally, Nine Entertainment, Carl, hopping <laughs> off some of the papers. Oh, yeah. Well, Nine Entertainment. So Nine Entertainment's a bit of media news in the media, isn't it, this mm. week? You know? um, there's another media story about uh, the new 2UW, whatever it's called. And then this week, uh, Nine Entertainment, Co. Well, Nine, Nine acquired um, Fairfax, which um, owned... Uh, uh, the the Sydney Morning Herald, the Age, and the Australian Financial Review, and a number of regional papers around Australia, including um, the Newcastle Herald. Uh, Nine Entertainment Co's um, decided to sell uh, out of the regional paper business and only keep the capital city mastheads at this point in time. So, what's the vibe on that? Why are they trying to? Why are they looking to do that? Do you think? Well, I don't. I don't know. I I, I don't really know. Because um, apparently the regional papers are quite profitable. Um, Cause, uh, because there are, some of them are a lot leaner now than they have been. So if there's... Yeah. 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 So anyhow, um, one of the ones they're selling is the Newcastle Herald. And Stephen's special guest at the moment is uh, the lead economist of the Hunter Research Foundation, Anthea Bell. Hi, Anthea. Hello. Hello. We've got you back after... I think you were here last year too at some stage. I was, yes. Yeah. I was very glad to be back. That's Thank good. you. So you're going to give us an update on what's happening, uh, what's happening in the economy locally. 
Um, yeah. And, and what we might go to is um, thing, a, things that everyone's talking about is house prices. That's yes. popular at the moment. So what do you yes. think's happening there? Uh, yeah, so we use uh, data that's available through APM Price Finder and mm-hmm. uh, we report uh, sort of now every six months on how house prices are tracking across the region at our breakfast and in our indicator publication. And so what we can see in the Hunter is a definite flattening of the strong growth that we have seen in previous years. So Hunter median house prices stayed flat over the year. They didn't really go anywhere. Um, and that's in contrast to house prices across the region growing by 7% um, last year and the region's five-yearly growth average of around about 5-6%. Um, so the Newcastle LGA, which had been kind of leading the pack in terms of growth and was still kind of growing strongly at the very start of 2018, um, experienced a 3% decline by the time the year had ended and Lake Macquarie um, had fallen by 1% over 2018. So so that's the um, Newcastle Lake Ma- local government area. The, yep. the prices fell by 3% on the average sales. Yes. Yep. So just, and yes. is, that, is that house prices as in standard? So, yeah, that's median house prices that we use. Yep. Um, and when we look at the other LGAs, Musselbrook and Singleton... Um, They've had a bit of a rebound with this sort of recovery period in the Upper Hunter um, and because they had some falls earlier on with the movements in the, the mining investment um, cycle. But they've sort of, uh, their growth has been quite good, but the other um, Hunter LGAs other than Newcastle and Lake Macquarie have all experienced modest declines in the second half of 2018. So it looks like that growth story is starting at least to flatten out, if not to marginally turn um, in the Hunter. Certainly if you compare it to Sydney and Melbourne, we're seeing nothing like that the falls that have been happening, the speed of falls that have been happening there with those falls now ongoing for 18 months. Yeah, so these yeah. these house prices, are these units or the whole, or, or and standalone houses or just the whole lot put together? Um, they would exclude units and apartments. Okay. They, um, so it would be what uh, the price finder would uh, define as houses. So that would exclude units and apartments. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then the unemployment rate. So there's a bit of good news there by the looks of it. There is, yes. Um, so the region's unemployment rate fell in the six months to December. So all of the data that we were presenting a few weeks ago at our breakfast and the, the data I'm using here is um, for 2018, so up to December 2018. But in the six months to December 2018, the unemployment rate came down to 4.6% from 5.8%. And that's only really just above the New South Wales wide rate, which is 4.2%. And that's the lowest that it's been since the 1970s, that New South Wales rate. And the New South Wales rate is the lowest of any Australian state. Right. So do we, do we know where the... Inc- do, we, do we have any idea which increase, uh, which sector of the economy increased employment or we just, we just have yeah, total numbers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was having a little bit of a look at that. I mean, a lot of the jobs growth, when you have a look at the employment side of things, a lot of the jobs growth that happened 
um, in 2018 was at the start of the year and it was part-time. So we didn't have as strong full-time jobs growth as we did in 2017. And our rate of jobs growth uh, wasn't quite as high as the state. So the state grew by 3% and we grew by 1.6% over the year. So, But when you have a look over the year and the data that we can use is from the um, Australian Labor Force Survey, we can see some jobs growth still in the mining sector, although that appears to be flattening out some of that strong growth that we saw over 2017, late 2016. We've seen a bit of a resurgence, it looks like, in manufacturing, and certainly that's coming through in national indices around manufacturing, which is great news because manufacturing took a really big hit in that five years from 2011 to 2016, and we saw that in the most recent census, the 30% job losses in manufacturing across the region. Um, we're also, when we look at the data, seeing some growth in what we would think of as knowledge-intensive segments like professional um, and technical services, telecommunications and media, finance and insurance as well, and some admin and support services, which I guess would hang off a lot of that, that business growth in those sectors. Um, yeah. So, so it's basically across the whole economy generally. Yeah, well, not so much in health and education as we would normally. Mm-hmm. So that's been a very strong growth sector. So, yes, yeah, some of that knowledge-intensive stuff we haven't seen growing quite as strongly um, as pre- as we have previously in sort of retail and food and accommodation services and things have been relatively slow um, to grow over 2018. So, yeah, those, those knowledge-intensive segments, that's something we haven't seen quite so much of, you know, in a 10-year window of the last 10 years or five years. And it's, it's, I think it's quite good to see those segments growing in the Hunter overall. And so we've got this growth in this um, creative industries. Is that the same thing as knowledge-intensive industries or is there some overlap or...? Yeah, yeah, not quite... Not quite the same, and we're leaning heavily on some work there that's been done um, at the University of Newcastle from the Creative Industries um, Unit within the faculty. So Phil McIntyre's headed that research, um, and I think they came up with their own sort of custom definition of creative industries because it doesn't just sit in sort of um, in arts necessarily in the arts sector. Um, which is how it would be arts and recreation services, which is how it would be classified by the ABS because creative components can exist in a number of jobs. So I think they've worked out a fairly fine-grained way of assessing creative content or creative roles within a number of industries. And then they've sort of summed that up to have a look at the value that that adds to the local economy. And I think the estimate that they came up with in their latest report, which is very close to being released, is that it adds almost a billion dollars. Um, and that was in 2016 to the Hunter's gross regional product. So would, would creative industries include something like, for example, the development of a, 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 an online application or would that... I think it would include... Yeah. If that include I think it would include... If it's got some creative content um, in that role and... Um, it involves um, sort of potentially, particularly if it involves any sort of graphic design or um, any new ideas or innovation. Um, and that's one of the things that the report outlines is just how important the creative industries are to um, to innovation and to you know to growing new new jobs and new ideas within the region. Um, then it would be classified as creative industries. But I'm not an expert on that classification that's, or that report unfortunately that's right it just seems to me that 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 would if that does include that that's good that we've got that trend in that area yes yeah yeah, yeah it's great yeah 
And then, of course, um, household spending. Now, this is interesting. So, so, so household spending was up, uh, up marginally. Yes. Yeah, and then there's people talking about these this so-called wealth effect that that yes, yes, that people's houses are not going up in value, so they don't spend as much. But but this doesn't yeah. seem to correlate, does it? Or does it? Uh, well, well. So our so our region we haven't yet seen. So the idea of a wealth effect is that you know, as you were saying, when house prices start falling, people stop spending because they're they're reliant um, on on those gains um, whether they're realised or not whether they just exist on paper or they're actually selling their house um, to to feel confident about their spending so in the hunter we haven't yet seen the house price falls that we've seen in Sydney and Melbourne so our market is looking like it's softening or slowing but we haven't really seen substantial falls that's one reason why you wouldn't see wealth effects yet in um, the hunter economy. And the other thing is, is as we were, when we were reporting on those measures, and you're exactly right around personal finances and consumer spending, they're just really over a six-month um, period, and I was comparing that to the average for December. So um, we've seen a bit of a movement up on the average for December, which is quite a good thing, but it was pretty modest, most of those improvements. Um, I think the important thing with the consumer data is to note that it's really, long-term, we're still seeing consumption patterns and household spending sitting well below where it was pre-the global financial crisis. You said that consumer spending still isn't up to the pre-GFC levels? Yes, that's right. I was so that's aware a, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a trend true for the Hunter and for the Australian economy overall. So we're not doing anything um, different within our region to what's happening nationally, but um, and true probably internationally of a lot of advanced economies, but um, households haven't really gotten back to where they were pre-GFC and there's a lot of reasons for that which include high levels of household debt um, and low wage growth as well. So they've had relatively low wage growth in the last five years within the Australian economy. Yeah, so, and then the the coal prices are up a bit as well. Yes, um, coal prices over the year, they were just a teeny weeny bit but certainly they've almost doubled from 2015-16. Um, when we saw prices fall. So um, when we have a look at the data we collect in the upper hunter, you can definitely see the resurgence in terms of a recovery, a very strong recovery um, in business confidence and business performance from that wind back in mining investment, which happened with the original fall in, in thermal coal prices. And the hunter economy overall moves relatively, relatively in sync with um, the mining sector. So you can see... When you compare our trends to New South Wales, that we've really we really did take a hit in terms of employment and business confidence and performance when the mining sector wound back its investment phase. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we've seen some, we've seen a recovery from those lows um, in terms of um, business confidence and performance, and um, also in terms of people's confidence in the economy moving forward. Um, both household and business confidence. Um, we've seen a recovery from negative values that we were seeing in 13, 14, 14, 15. Um, uh, but a little bit of softening in the regional outlook most recently in the data we collected for the end of 2018. So so that, that this is this business performance number you've got here. So the business performance was marginally up. Yes. So we've got... We, we, so the business performance is a measure of businesses... Um, uh, assessment of their uh, profitability, trading, and hiring intentions over the last three months, 
And so um, that actually had a little bit of a rebound from the fall that we saw in the first part of 2018. So, And that saw the measure back where it was at the end of 2017 when it was sitting relatively high, the best it's been for about 10 years. So business performance is good. Um, business confidence also rebounded from a, a bit of a sharp drop at the beginning of 2018, but not as much as business performance did. The measures that have been kind of moving down a little bit more steeply over 2018 are when we ask businesses and households about their expectations for the economy. So um, businesses and households' expectations for the economy have been um, softening quite a bit over 2018, especially when they think about the 12-month outlook for the economy. Um, and that might be to do with some uncertainty that's playing out sort of nationally as well around house price movements, around some of the international environment, um, global trade wars, some political uncertainty, um, particularly at the national level. Um, but certainly we've got a lot of protect protective factors in the region in terms of the movement in um, the mining cycle moving back. We've got still got a relatively robust housing market and a relatively robust construction pipeline and um, a fairly strong labour market as we saw in that unemployment rate result. Mm. So with the, with, I mean, even the Reserve Bank's now talking about um, historic low wages growth and I think that one state yep. said that needs to increase. Um, yes. But a lot of the small businesses can't actually pay any more money. I mean, how, how do we kind of get this to occur? Yeah, well, I think I think the hope is um, that I mean. So one of the things that's been on the table is obviously a business tax cuts around um, addressing some of those issues. I mean, I think there is also a sense that um, as the labour market tightens, there could be some wage growth, and if that wage growth occurs, it will flow through into mm -hmm. increased spending, and then you sort of get a bit of a, yep. a cycle of spending. But um, yeah, obviously that depends on businesses being able to pass increased profits onto their onto their workers in terms of increased wages. So, um, yeah, and I think that one of the things that's been noted post the global financial crisis is that businesses are generally just a little bit more cautious um, in terms of needing more confidence around an invest future investment stream or profits, expectations of profits before they will invest in capital expenditure, for instance, or potentially in wage in wage rises for employees. So um, both households and businesses seem to be impacted quite a bit in terms of making those more permanent commitments to to spending or to increasing wages um, yeah, it's, it's, than they might have been before the global financial crisis. It's yeah. particularly tough in the retail sector at the moment. Absolutely, yeah, is, absolutely, yep. Yeah. Which is reflects that you know the household spending. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. and a squeeze from um, online retailers and increased international competition. I mean, the technology has produced sort of seismic shifts in some of the forces of competition in that sector as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. So, what are we what are we predicting for the next year in the region? Yeah, well, I think at the moment, for the short term, at least, at least things look pretty robust um, in the Hunter economy. We're still, we've still got a sort of um, $2.6 billion pipeline of residential and non-residential investment in, when we look at building mm -hmm. approvals within the region, um, and that's sort of almost, you know, record high. And it's been sitting um, at that level um, quarter on quarter when you sum it over the year for um, 
couple of years now, that very elevated level within the region. We're still sort of reaping some of the gains of the investment within the city and revitalisation, so that's something to be positive about. And certainly we're seeing um, the unemployment rate quite low. I think there's still a little bit of concern around that household segment. I think we'll have to keep our eye on where house prices go over the year for the region and what that might mean in terms of... Um, the confidence within the household sector and those wealth effects which you spoke about. But um, I think we can be fairly positive within the region and certainly optimists are still outnumbering pessimists in the data that we collect on how people are feeling about the economy moving over the next 12 months. Well, that's good to hear. So we might get you back in a year or so. Uh, <laughs> Another and, year, you reckon, for Anthea? Well, whenever. Great chat there, Steve, with uh, Anthea Bill from the Hunter Research Foundation. Thanks, Anthea. Mate, we're out of time. That's Thursday Finance. You'll be back next week, Steve. I'll Steven. be back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>